Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here to host another episode of the Ortho Show podcast. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Alok Sharan, who is the director of orthopedics from the New Jersey Spine Orthopedics, as well as a pioneer of awake spinal fusion. Now, I got to tell you, you know, if I'm thinking about having spinal surgery here, look, I'm not so sure that I want to be awake. So you're going to have to convince me of this. You know, I'm just a sports medicine guy, but... uh, We've got several partners in my practice that are uh, spine surgeons and, and uh, non-operative spine guys, too. So I'm actually quite fascinated to hear this. I think we share a passion for opioid-sparing surgery as well. So love to hear how that perhaps fits into the, into the mix as well. So, so give it to us, man. So, so look, I'm walking into your office. I, you know, I need a fusion, one of those T-lift, P-lift, whatever those things are that you guys do. And, uh, you know, some kind of, some kind of procedure. Yeah. Some, some, some sort of procedure that I have to round on on the weekends because my spine <laughs> surgeon's away and I have no idea what it is, but let's say I walk in, you know, I need a lumbar spine fusion. So talk to me, what, how does, how do you present this to the patient and the process of doing the procedure? Sure. First of all, thank you, Scott. I, mean, I, I have to say it's a, it's an honor to be on your uh, podcast. I've been a big fan of yours, and actually, to tell you the truth, I've been taking a lot of lessons from what you've been doing in terms of opioid sparing. So, I know we as spine surgeons may seem advanced in some ways, but I think we're curmudgeons in others. So, the whole notion of trying to be opioid sparing, especially in spine surgery, is still a, a fairly innovative concept. So, I, I thank you for that. But in terms of uh, awake fusion, you know, I tell you the truth, it's um. Like everything else, in retrospect, it sounds like it was a smooth story, but it was sort of an iterative process for me to come to this conclusion that awake spinal fusion is the way to go. Um, you probably know that about five, six years ago, I did a healthcare MBA up at uh, Dartmouth. It was a, a business degree, and it was amazing for me for so many different reasons, but there's a lot of different takeaways. Um, one was this whole notion of how we're in this experienced economy now. And that mean that basically means that, you know, why is the iPhone better than the Samsung? Why is Disney World better than Great Adventure? And I think in spine surgery, perhaps in orthopedic surgery in general, we haven't really thought about the experience aspect of things. The awake part of things came from a multi the motivation for doing awake surgery came from multiple sources. The first source was the fact that we did a study maybe about seven, eight years ago now, where we showed pretty conclusively that if you do orthopedic surgery like hip and knee replacements with general anesthesia in Italy, the rates of delirium are significantly higher. So there's no question that uh, we should try to avoid general anesthesia when possible, especially in the elderly. It's kind of interesting because during this whole COVID period, we realized the risks of intubating now 
and how you can actually do a lot without intubating people. So that's sort of just further support of that. But to me, the whole notion of awake actually came by my desire to sort of make spine surgery a better experience. And where that came about was this. Um, I had joined a, a private practice a few years back, a very progressive group of anesthesiologists. And we were doing our laminectomies, small surgery, under spinal anesthesia. And I had a patient come in, and he had asked, he said, hey, doc, do you mind if I listen to headphones and music uh, during surgery? And Scott, he was a lawyer. And I said, oh, my God, this guy's going to be recording our conversations. I better behave. I can't say anything at all. But he didn't. And he ultimately, he was he, he listened to music while we had surgery. And when he woke up, he said, you know, doc, that was a beautiful experience. I, I shook my head. You just had a spine surgery. How could a spine surgery be a beautiful experience? He goes, no, look, I was laying on my belly. I was listening to my favorite playlist. I felt like I was getting a massage. It was just a beautiful experience. And it is really that whole idea that when the patient is awake during surgery, that you could truly try to affect some of the emotions around having surgery. And that's what really provoked us to start doing more and more um, awake surgery. And at this point now, we are all of our lumbar procedures are being done awake. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that absolutely fascinating. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the days of patients, for example, going to a primary care doctor's office, and saying, you know, my back hurts and, and I need surgery and can you tell me where to go? People are much more savvy now. Everyone's able to, uh, you know, look on social media, the internet, ratings on doctors, reviews on doctors. And so patients are finding us. And so if you can provide an improved experience for the patient, then they do the talking for you. We've done the same thing with rotator cuff surgery. We do these scaling blocks now, and we use a, this collagen patch that we put over top. And you can have a rotator cuff surgery, opioid-free, and be back to work within three to four days with early range of motion, which is a very different experience. So we commend you. You know, We love pioneers on the ortho show. And I love your brand. You know, you are the pioneer of awake spinal fusion and that's not by accident. You, you chose that. And, and you now go are swimming upstream against the traditionalists who don't want to change. You want to stay the same that they've always been. we always talk about, you know, Brene Brown, it takes, it takes courage and vulnerability to try things new and try and change the paradigm. And so, so talk to us about your, you know, your early successes with this and, and how the patients, you know, started to, to keep rolling in. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, the one of the first patients, so we have been doing awake laminectomies and had tremendous success. Um, I had a medical student go back and look at some more data and the, the differences were incredible. And I had a patient who um, needed a spinal fusion. Uh, she was a widow, lived by herself. And she had previously had shoulder surgery with general anesthesia. And her hesitancy about having spine surgery was the general anesthesia. I said to her, you know, um, we actually are doing a lot of our lumbar procedures now under spinal with that general. Would that be more suitable for you? And she jumped at the chance. She goes, the, only, the reason why I was avoiding spine surgery is not the actual surgery itself. It was because of the anesthesia. And she was the first one. She's Barbara. I still remember it. And I still remember the day. And she, we did her surgery. And uh, the surgery went beautifully. She did great. She woke up. She said, she never really went to sleep, but she woke up and she said, this is just a beautiful experience. And we learned then that, first of all, that it could be done. And then subsequently, we did it again. We did it again. The most the interesting breakthrough, though, was this one. Um, we had a lady in her 70s. We had done a lumbar fusion on. Really nice patient. Really nice patient. Around 7, 8 o'clock at night, I get a call from the nursing staff that she wants to sign out AMA. So she wants to sign out against medical advice. I mean, that's crazy. And and so long story short was that when she came back in uh, to the office, said, why did you want to leave the hospital that day? She goes, Doc, I had a lumbar fusion. I had no pain. 
mean, really, I said to myself, why am I in the hospital? <laughs> and so I said, I'll just take things under my own uh, control and left. And, and she never came back to the ER. And I realized that at that point, that's when I realized, Scott, that we're over-treating patients with spinal fusion surgery. Yeah, the, the light right. don't need to be in the hospital. Yeah, so the light goes on, right? You, you, you're seeing something that you've never seen before, and it's positive. And so then you say, okay, now we've got to run with this, and we've got to make this available. So, so talk to us about the spinal. I mean, there's a couple of things. Again, you know, I'm just a sports medicine dude, but um, you got to go high on the spinal, I'm assuming. So what level do they typically do that? Yeah, you actually don't need to go high. So if you're doing a if you're doing an L four five spinal fusion, there's different types of medicines and concoctions you can do. So what we settled on now is that um, there's isobaric and there's hyperbaric. <clears throat> That's obviously based off of the density. So what we know now is that if you go one level above the level where you're going to do your surgery, so let's say it's an L four five and you go to L three four, and you use isobaric spinal anesthesia, that sits beautifully. We actually have it done. We have it down so well now that. We know what dosage to give. We give the spinal anesthesia. The patient can turn over themselves onto the bed. They can position themselves because going prone, you know, there's a lot of issues with positioning. And then we time it so well that by the time that we're done with surgery, they're starting to wiggle their toes. And when they get to the recovery room, they're already moving everything. Fantastic. And there's no increased risk of spinal headache or whatnot because uh, it, it, just, it just doesn't occur? It just doesn't occur. Yeah. As long as you use a 27-gauge needle and you stay one level above. That's that's fantastic. Now we got we have some non you know orthopedic listeners out there. Just describe the isobaric thing for them so that they can really get an understanding if you were talking to the patient. Absolutely. So if the spinal canal is um, obviously it's a it's a tube with the nerves and the CSF the water. So when you typically give medicine into the spinal, like for a C section, you put the medicine in and the medicine can float in that canal up and down. If you give hyperbaric anesthesia, the medicine typically floats up. The risk in doing that is that if the medicine floats up, it can float up all the way to the brain. But if you do an isobaric concoction, the medicine actually stays at that one spot. And so it doesn't go up to the brain. It just stays local and it just numbs up the area where you're working at perfectly. Awesome. So I just saw a report out of HSS. They took a look at ACLs. I, again, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on sports here. <laughs> but they, they looked at the timing of surgery and they found that there was a significant increase in return to uh, the emergency room complications associated with over uh, 90 minutes on an ACL reconstruction. So you're putting in a spinal, you're spot on, you know what you're doing here. How much time do you have to work with? So it depends on the patient. So we're pretty good now. In the beginning, we started created nelmograms. So we knew that um, how if a patient was high BMI, if it was if it was a Monday after the Giants lost in football, and I'll be talking a lot, <laughs> I'll, need, I'll need more. I'll need more. And that last year was tough. Yeah. So I'll need more time. And so we've we've gotten pretty good in terms of dosing our spinal now, based off of the different variables. So we have a nomogram that we use for this. That's fantastic. So so you can dial in, but you do need to be you know readily, readily facile with your technique, with your timing, predictability, right? Because it's not like general anesthesia where you can just leave it on all day long. Absolutely. And so then, so critical to all this, it depends on, again, what the goal is, but critical to all this is having reproducibility and predictability and doing a lumbar fusion. So you have to have a good team. You have to have a good team. And if you don't have a good team, it's not worth taking the risk. So luckily, I'm fortunate that I have a good team that I could predict how long it's going to take. But I do want to say one thing, though. One one other big breakthrough that came with us was um, with how we used um, Expril. I'm sure you use Expril also, but um, Expril is a great drug, but I just found that initially that when I was using it as just a local injection, I wasn't getting these great results. But um, in 2015, there was a paper published about a new block called a T-lip block, T-L-I-P. 
<clears throat> and similar to the shoulder, it's sort of like a field block where you can basically numb up a lot of different nerves. So when we started using Expril as a TILA block as well, that was a game changer. Yeah. That was, at that point, these patients at this point now are, you know, we've done 125 awake spinal fusions. 70% of our patients are off of narcotics after one week from surgery now. That's fantastic. So just to educate the audience again, so Expirel is liposomal bupivacaine. Uh, it's indicated for injection at a surgical site. You can't put it into the spinal because that's off-label. So you use standard medication for the spinal, which numbs the patient up for the time period in which the surgery is happening. And then uh, what Dr. Sharon's doing is then basically then taking the Expirel liposomal bupivacaine, spreading it around the wound where the surgery was, and then you're getting hopefully two to three days worth of pain relief. So now you're opioid sparing, you're potentially doing this as outpatient, which we'll talk about, uh, and a patient's not having general anesthesia. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's a game changer. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, why did you decide you've, you've named this. Okay. And it's not by accident that you've done so. And so you're branding yourself as to, to this awake spinal, uh, uh fusion technique, uh, was that out of your MBA was, or not your MBA, I'm sorry, but your advanced degree at, at Dartmouth where you got a master's in, in health delivery science, or was that just your innate understanding of social media, how things are working and how I want to set myself aside from my competition? That's a great question. That's a great question. How do you brand? That's a lecture in itself. The branding is tough, right? So you can't choose a word that basically comes out of nowhere. So there's there's wide awake hand, wide awake hand surgery, Wallant. There's awake craniotomies. And so the, the notion of being awake during surgery is not completely in left field. When it comes to terms of when, – when you talk about innovations, I think the goal is we all want to think about that um, going to the moon idea. I don't think how, that's how innovation works. I think in, innovation works best when you think about the adjacent possible. When you think about wide awake hand surgery, awake spine surgery. Awake brain surgery, awake spine surgery. It's the next adjacent possible. And so to me, the notion of awake is sort of accepted. And now we're just applying it to my field, spine surgery. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's oftentimes, it's incremental change, but that incremental change can actually be quite impressive. You know, we... Uh, you're, you're, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, with OrthoLaser, where I'm the CMO. We were using we use laser for acute and chronic orthopedic pain, and which is and that's too. I saw, which is great. Yeah, and so that was a, that was the same sort of thought process. I mean, what's the next step here? So for acute inflammation of COVID, could we try the laser? And fortunately, it worked. And we're really trying at this point to get that message out. But it's just a, it's that ability to to sort of take someone else's ideas, maybe in a cross you know specialty that pollinization of creating another idea and then moving forward. So we commend you, you know, for this, this is great. So how do you see, you know, without a doubt, I mean, you take a look, especially coming out of the pandemic, outpatient surgery is, is where it's at and everybody's moving to ASCs. How many of these procedures are you doing in the ASC? Are you comfortable doing? Walk us through that. So we're, so all my laminectomies are being done in an ASC now. It's very rare that we do a laminectomy in the ASC. Um, moving the fusions to the AC, we work in HOPDs, so the, the, it is being done on an outpatient basis. But I think moving to the AC in a standardized fashion is what I'm working on now. That re- there's a lot of more valuables in place. You need to have a good team, expertise, and there's some cost issues as well. But we're driving towards that. I, 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 have, a fr- I have a good friend in Colorado who um, does awake fusions, and he's doing it in his ASC, which is great. 
that's the future. What I'm trying to figure out now is how we can um, do it safely. So what 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 does the the doc in the Midwest wants to work in his AC? What does he need to do? What are the type of things services he needs? And then we can do it because our patients are going home the same day. But I just want to make sure we do this in a safe manner. What I don't want to happen is people start doing awake surgeries and we start hearing a lot of complications and we don't get these outcomes we want. So I'm trying to make a soft landing for everybody who wants to, who wants to do the surgery. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Have you been out to Zeeb Kane's course out in Newport? No, it's, I've seen his, a lot of his work. I'd, I'd let, well, hopefully one day when... Oh, you're invited. Yeah. You're, you're coming, dude. We're bringing you, for sure. <laughs> when, as soon as we're done this podcast, I'm calling you. Go to Newport Beach. I mean, yeah. huh? <laughs> right? it could be a lot worse. We're de- you need to come out and you need to be able to talk about this because it's a great course because there they have you know, all the administrators. It, it's doctors, it's nurses, it's administrator, ASC owners. So it's a real great place for a breeding ground of this type of an idea to put together the, the teamwork that's required. And that was sort of my next question. So you want to try and move to the outpatient setting. It sounds like you're doing that. But, and I really love the idea that you're taking your time methodically coming up with an algorithm of how you can do this safely and effectively. How are you going to teach it? I mean, we're stuck in a rut here. You know, no, we can't go places. You can't go to society meetings right now. I mean, what's your plan? What's your virtual plan to be able to make yeah, this more of a reality? So it's interesting you asked that question because in this past May, we were going to host a course, our first course on awake spine surgery. And of course, the course was scheduled to be in Seattle <laughs> of all places. So we had to cancel that. And so luckily, um, my business partner and I, we very quickly said, how can we teach this course to people who want to do it? You know, I'm getting calls from Australia and England, uh, Egypt on how to do this. And so we actually created a website called uh, Doc dot social doc social and um it's a digital education platform for doctors and we did this with a cut with the the idea that not only do other people want to hear about awake spinal fusion but there's a lot of new surgical techniques that surgeons have they just don't have the ability to put together a weekend course and what we've done now is create a platform to be able to teach us and what we've also started doing is creating a, a model that can that people can sort of buy and sort of practice doing these blocks so, you know, look, my, my kids are young and I, I can see the technology tools they have for education, which is a lot more advanced than surgical education. The tools are out there. We just have to transpose it over into surgical education. So I'm really, really excited to launch Doc Social when the time comes and be able to think, think about how we can scale our ability to teach this technique much greater than a weekend course. I think that's spot on. And it's going to be something that's going to be here. I mean, I don't know. You know they're try they're still going to try and pull off the OSEC course in December out in Vegas. Uh, you know Brian Bosconi and Kevin Kevin Plancher. It sounds like they're still going to do it, but I, I see going in the future here. There's just not going to be a lot of uh, of desire for people to go to large conferences and be involved in this. So that virtual reality platform, the ability to educate, change, and, and teach, I think is going to be a new new business in and of itself, you know, some things go away and then some new things come. So I think that's great that, that you're there. Actually, we're doing, uh, I've had, I've been asked to do a really cool gig coming up, uh, with Robin Young, who's orthopedics today. Uh, he's partnering with a lot of the society meetings, the, the larger societies, and he's setting up virtual, uh, virtual meetings and he's actually selling, uh, vendors, virtual booths too. So there can be interaction between the vendors and, and then the people that are attending and to spice it up a little bit. He's like, you know, Scott, he's like, these conferences are boring. Virtual reality is boring. He's like, I want you to come on board as a play by play announcer 
And then we're also bringing in Solomon Wilcots, who is an NFL analyst, ex-NFL player, great guy. Actually going to have a broadcast book of these society meetings. So the boring cartilage talks, we're going to spice them up a little bit, you know? That's great. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, that's the, that's the new reality. I mean, the question is, do you sit back, hang up your shingle, sit back and wait for PCPs to send you patients, or do you come up with new ideas, strategies, brand yourself, come up with new ideas, major innovation, you know, change the way we do things. I mean, this is, yeah, this is, this was a great interview. I really thank you for taking the time out to be able to share your very important, innovative story. And we really appreciate you being on. Thank you, Scott. It truly is an honor. It was our pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.